Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Well, thank you, Dad, for joining on uh, for joining the show. Well, uh, thank you for having me and on your on your platform. But of course, of course, and mm-hmm. it was important for you to come on, and you wanted to share your message, you wanted to share your story, you wanted to uh, help other people. So, why don't we start there with uh, explaining why you're on the show today? Uh, well, well, thank you for having me on your show, Miha, uh, Andrea, my daughter. Um, well, I, I, you know, the reason why I'm on your show, first of all, it's because I have a message to share with, with uh, younger people. Addiction rob, robs a, a lot of people of their youth and years of their life, making a lot of mistakes, making behavior decisions that affect your life forever. So I think by sharing my story, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping that it can make an impact and, and, and maybe someone out there that, that, that will listen and, and not make the same choices or mistakes that I did mm-hmm. or even keep trying to get the opportunity to get treatment because uh, if you, they can get treatment at an early stage of their lives, I think that it can save a lot of headaches and, and, and misfortune and, and, uh, and be a productive you know, citizen uh, again. You know? mm-hmm. So I, I think that sharing a story, I'm hoping that it will make an impact. In, in someone's life and addiction. Okay. So that, that's my reason. And I'll, I'll kind of recap where you are right now. So my dad just got out of jail. He is 55 years old and you just got out of jail um, for a, a felony charge of a DWI. This was your third DWI offense and right. you received, I think, five years in prison. You served two years completing your full, um, your, your, your sentencing so you weren't released early as, as much as we, we were trying to do that for the coronavirus. That didn't happen, but you are released on your regular scheduled parole time a little bit earlier because of your, your good behavior and your ability to earn trust inside of the jail, things like that. Um, but now that you're out, you're 55 years old and you've lost everything, right? Before this, you were a successful uh, business owner and uh civil engineer uh, and working with the city of San Antonio to do uh, the work that you do in the civil engineering field. And you, you had a good life, but you've always struggled also with alcoholism, um, hence the three DWIs. So why don't we, why don't you share with me, like, what does that feel like now being out and kind of going from where you were before to now being here? Well, first of all, yes, uh, I was an owner of a civil engineering firm. Uh, I kind of worked my way up up the ladder, and uh, I became a a functional alcoholic because I was productive, but yet uh, I was becoming an alcoholic throughout throughout that that time. And yes, uh, my DWI's conviction, you know, as I I look back, uh, I lost everything, yes. You know, I lost my business. My, my home, 
I lost my relationships, you know, with personal people that I cared about. Uh, I, I, I totally got out of touch with my family and friends and, and especially my social life became a loner. Um, so that's what alcohol does, you know, when, when, when you're in self-medicating and, uh, and so, <clears throat> Yeah, losing everything was has been a, a real struggle. You know, as I look back throughout my childhood years, you know, the, you know, being the dysfunctional family, the physical, emotional abuse that I went through, um, you know, it created a, a persona in me that I, I didn't realize until I was in jail. Uh, when when I was, in this, particularly this, you know, here and coming out of prison, I went to a treatment center. And the Hamilton unit, and uh, it was a corporation called MTC, which handles uh, alcohol uh, treatment. And I was in this treatment program for six months, and I, I, I've learned uh, a lot of tools and, 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 and lessons in, in, in rational self-analysis and behavior, cognitive behavior, uh, anger management, and, and uh, social skills, and, uh, but more, more, more so uh, the addiction a portion of it dealing with psychiatrists and therapists and LCDC counselors, licensed chemical dependency counselors. And this was the first time you received treatment? Yes, this is the very first time in my life that I ever received treatment. And and I'm glad you touched on that because I think that if I would have had treatment in my first time, you know, that I had a DWI, I, I think that it would have made an impact on my you know, on my future decisions or, or even my behavior, you know, because uh, the treatment center really, really were, were aggressive in, in, in treatment. You know, this was eight hours a day, five days a week, six months, 180 days straight. And so it was very intense. And so, yeah, it was very beneficial and, and uh, it helped me with my thinking. Uh-huh. And, uh, and to analyze myself and, and, and my past issues with alcohol. Would you say that uh, going to jail then this time helped you in that way? Because you would, like, what stopped you from getting treatment the first time after the first DUI or even the second DUI? Even though it wasn't mandated by the court, why, what, what made you not think you had a problem after those two to, to put yourself well, into a treatment facility? <clears throat> So the first the first time it, it was it was just a probation period you know and and so you really how old were you i was third no my first dwi i was young i was very young i was 19 years old and uh and then my second it was when i was in this was 2003 and so that's about 15 16 years ago and uh, and, and how so, much time passed from when you got your first one to your second. You're saying about 15 years, roughly. Yeah, they've been they've been sporadic, like every 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 13, 14 years apart. And were they yeah. in the same state? Well, no, one was in Illinois, and the first the one other, was in Illinois. Yeah, and and it followed me over here to Texas. Yes, so they use that, uh, I guess, against my record. You know, so the UWIs are they're they're pretty uh pretty hard on them. You know, so they they follow you throughout your life. They, they don't they don't go away. You know, so when, when after you got that first DWI, how much time in jail did you get? None. I was put on probation. Uh-huh. Uh, that that I think that was the problem. I, I think that you know when even when I was on probation, you know they didn't they didn't offer any kind of treatment or or, or any kind of type of counseling or or any type of uh, programs like AA or it, it, it wasn't mandated or mandatory that I attend. And so I think that 
you know, I, I didn't take it serious. Mm-hmm. And, and so it didn't change my behavior. It didn't change Did you my behavior. Did you think you had a problem at that time? No, not, not, not at all. I, 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 it didn't even cross my mind that he even had a problem. I thought, okay, I just got caught and that was it. And so it, uh, it was easy to blow off or, or to minimize the impact of the severity of, 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 of drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and on my second one, it was basically the same thing. I did, a, it was, I think, a year and a half of probation and I completed the probation and, and I was done with it, but no treatment was offered either. So again, you know, it, it was like a cycle of, of getting in trouble with the DUI, get on probation, you're out, no treatment, and, and go on with your life. Because so much time had passed, I could understand how it may be, you know, you're like, oh, I just got caught again. But did you, were you still drinking? I feel like at that time you were still struggling with alcohol. Like we, yeah. we all saw it, and and I felt like you kind of, you you saw it even with with Wello, your your dad. So I guess how is what's that justification process like? Like I know my dad has an issue with alcoholism. I I'm probably having some sort of issue, and this is now my second DUI. It was denial. Our family past generations have struggled with alcohol being functional alcoholics at that. I thought, well, it ain't gonna happen to me. I'm different, I'm handling it. That was in denial, strictly denial. Mm-hmm. I didn't admit that I had a problem. I couldn't admit, I had too much pride. Yeah. I'm a very powerful man. And, and so when, you're, when your pride is, is, is way up there, you know, nothing is wrong, you know, until you actually you lose everything basically. You know? mm-hmm. So when you're humbled, and, and so then you start doing self-analysis and, and start thinking, well, maybe I do got a problem. And how much time passed between the second DWI in Texas and the third DWI? 14 years went by. 14 years. And from the second to the third, you know, DWI, I accomplished a lot. You know, I started, I worked for an engineering firm and, and, and then I, I started a business on my own. And, uh, and I partnered up. I bought in partners eventually, and and so uh, I was being a productive, functional alcoholic. Uh, I, I want to say now that I, as I look back, but you know, I, I will throughout. I could see the in time. I was becoming a loner. I was too, uh, not socializing with family members and friends, even in my relationships, my personal relationships with, with with people that I cared about. During that time of being a functional alcoholic and in between building your business up getting a house or you know trying to just resume your life here's the other question i have is like so what were the other jail things for that when you were in jail for dy <laughs> no because i feel like you were you're you were in and out of jail since i was like well okay well going back to Going, going, going back to my 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 earlier years in my life, uh, you know, I, this is where I I, I I came to terms with you know how I became a, a functional alcoholic because of my I, I want to say my upbringing and and thinking and knowing you know that alcohol was okay after seeing you know my father and 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 in the household being a functional alcoholic. Because my father was an alcoholic, and my mom was a, an enabler uh, in, in a dysfunctional family. You know, I grew up in in, uh, in an abusive and emotional you know abuse and, and and other things that happened in my personal life. But as throughout those years, you know, 
anger built up, frustration built up, failures built up. And, and even then, when I became emotionally stressed or physically stressed, my self-medication was turning to alcohol and, and drugs. And so at an early age, you know, that's what I did. When I was affected by, by, by emotional or physical stress, I, I, I was self-medicating. Mm-hmm. And so at an early age, at uh, 13, 14, I was drinking, drinking wine and beer. The, fa- the failure started accumulating up then, you know. I, I, I did a uh, the socializing with, with school, with uh, uh, church, with family. I started being rebellious at home. You know, I ran away. I ran away from home when I was 15 years old. You know, you know that's not normal. And then, so then I ran again. I ran away again when I was 15. I mean, I actually moved out. So I started at a young age of being independent. You know, and so and uh, but I always worked. You know, then I, I met a I met your mom, and and so and even then I was a functional alcoholic. I was the beginning of the stages of, of being an alcoholic and drug abuse, and so. Going when you say drug abuse, what kind of drugs? Uh, pot, and then uh, pot. When I met your mind, was only pot, uh, marijuana, and and so. But once we separated and we were going through a divorce, I I, I started using hard hard drugs, uh, cocaine, mm-hmm. um, freebasing, uh, acid, and you did marijuana. Acid, Dad. <laughs> Yes, yeah, oh my I did God. it. What was All that? the white people in Aurora, West Aurora, did acid. <laughs> no way. Well, I don't even know what freebasing is. Like, I know, co- I know it's weed. It's, it's a form of cocaine in the pipe. Okay. It's like crack, basically, same thing. And but that, but that's what it was called back then. And then I started socializing when I was going through my divorce, separated from my mom. You know, I, I started hanging around the bad crowd, and you know they were. Formed, you know, there were, like, we call them crack houses here nowadays, but back then they were smoke houses. And so I was involved with a group of guys that were out there burglarizing. And how old were you? So I, I was, uh, then I, when I was separated from your mom, I was 21, 22, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was totally lost then, you know, I was devastated by uh, the divorce, going through the divorce, losing my family. And, and so it was easy to turn to other people, which other people turn out to be bad people. And so that's what got me in trouble with the law. And so, yeah, I, my, I, I got in trouble and instead of what Illinois. What did you do? I, well, I didn't do nothing. I was involved. They were, they, were, they were stealing, and I was in a car. And so they caught. Well, what happened? Tell me the story of that. Well, they were, I guess they were burglarizing and they had also the people that you property. were hanging out with were committing burglaries. Yeah, they, were, they were committing burglaries, yes. Yeah, they were completing burglaries. And, and so one day that we, I got in the car and with them. No one said they were going to go do that. No, 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 no. They had, stolen, they had stolen items in the trunk and we were on the way to pick up some more drugs and we got pulled over and we got pulled over. They seen all the stolen property in the trunk of the car and they started putting one to one together and they thought that we were in a burglary ring or something like that. Which and that's how that's that's why I was charged with burglary or and theft, you know, because, because uh, I was hanging around with those guys because we were caught with, with stolen items in the car. Was, but you didn't do it. No, no, no. I, I was doing the drugs, but I wasn't I wasn't stealing, you know. 
Uh, I hold myself accountable because I, w- I put myself in that position to be around them. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, I mean, I'm not denying the fact that I got in trouble and I went yeah. to, and I actually went to prison for that too. And, and that's know? where you were in prison when we were younger. In Illinois, yes. Yeah. When, you were, when you were young, when you were like one year old, two years old. Yeah. Uh, weren't you also yeah. in, in a jail when we were like six and seven though, like some state penitentiary? Here? No, no, no. That, that was it. Where that was, was the one was, like that we would have to drive to? That was it. That was it. That was it. Okay. That so was we were it. older yeah. than one though, because I remember that. Yeah, so you like, were like two or three. You were like you. Were, yeah, you were like three or four. Yeah. I don't. Rem- I don't. Re- I remember remembering it. <clears throat> yeah, you were. You were. You were. You were walking already. You were walking as you were running because you, you, and your mom used to come and visit me, and we we go to the yard and we put a blanket in. And we were out there, and and yeah. And so you and your mom would talk and, and that was yeah. the state one though. Yeah. What yeah. about the one that was here in Aurora, like the halfway house across that, from that, Mercy? Well, when I, when I got released, when I got released from there, they, they went to the halfway house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the same thing. Okay. Except it was just the process of being in prison okay. and I got out there. I actually, when I went to prison there, I, I went to school and you know, I, I took advantage of that time, you know, and, 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 uh, I took advantage. I got my GED there because I didn't finish. I dropped out of my senior year. I dropped out of B because of drugs and alcohol. I dropped, you know, I, I stopped going to school, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't want to go to the Air Force. <laughs> That's another thing you don't know. That was one of the failures. I met your mom and, and I was committed to go to the Air Force. I was already enrolled and signed up to go. And you know, all I had to do was graduate and I would go and I was leaving. I had met your mom, and and so I fell in love with your mom, and I didn't want to go no more. And so I just said, well, the only way I could get out of it if I don't graduate. And sure enough, that's what happened. I didn't. I, I chose not to go to school because I was madly in love with your mom. So you regret the, the, the decision that you didn't go to the Air Force because you at that time you didn't want to go because you didn't have right in your mind a true incentive to go anymore. Right. And then you got actually went to jail. And then right. there you're living in the hall, you get out, you go to the halfway house. But what made you move to Texas? Going through the divorce. When I went to prison there because of my drug use, you know, hanging around those guys. When I got out, me and your mom, we tried to patch up our relationship, right? And when I seen that it wasn't going to work out, that we actually filed for the divorce, uh, I didn't want to be a part of uh seeing her with another man or me being with another woman. It was just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, stressful emotions, right? I, I started to go to DeVry uh, University there in Lombard, Illinois. And actually, I, I, did a, I did a year. And, and so when we actually filed for the divorce, then I had the opportunity to leave, leave Aurora and get away from not only the friends and the environment, and I thought that maybe coming to Texas would, would be better for me until I got my life back together, making sure that um, I, was, I wasn't around those bad influences anymore. And so I transferred to Irving, Texas, to the DeVry University there in, in Dallas. And so that was my reason for leaving Illinois, to start a new life and, and get away from all that bad stuff that was going on back in Illinois. Even though I was getting leaving my daughters, I remember, I remember that day, the day I left, uh, it was very painful. Um, yeah, it, it was hard. It was hard to do, very hard. But I thought at that time, without thinking, you know, of the consequences or, or, or what I was actually doing by being away. But 
in the end, uh, I had no regrets. You know, I think that when I left, that I, I structurally structured my life a little better because I, I, I did go to school. And so I was productive in that point, from that aspect, yes. What were you in jail for when we were like in second, third, fourth grade? Uh, again, um, I was in, in my addiction. You know, I, when it, once I left Dallas, I, I came to San Antonio and I, I was drinking and I got caught with drugs. And, uh, and uh, I, wrote, I wrote some checks, some hot checks. And so they, I got in trouble for that. Due to my past criminal history from Illinois, they used that against me. So anything that, that I got in trouble for, they took it kind of harsh, you know, here in Texas. And so they punished you for that too, they, you know, because of that. And how long were you in jail that time? Uh, nine months, 10 months. Yeah. yeah. And, then, um, and then after that, were you, was there ever a wake-up call for you? Was there ever in between those times that you felt like, man, this is too much. I'm, I've gone down the wrong path. I need to change my life. No, not, not at all. Um, and then there again, you know, after my treatment classes, you know, uh, so you see, I, I was never dealing with my hardcore issues that I had, you know, I, what were those? So like when you say saying, hardcore issues, what were those? What I'm saying, what, what I'm saying is, is this, is that even though I, I, I got, the impact of being, you know, incarcerated. When I got out, I, I, I resumed my life back without thinking that I had a drinking pot. I went back to drinking and I went back to using pot. And so I never thought that I had a problem with that. I thought the problem was, okay, so I'm not going to write no more checks. You know, okay, I got in trouble for that. I'm going to stop doing that. When I got in trouble in Illinois, I started hanging around with friends that were stealing. So I got, I stopped doing that. So yeah, to me, the issue was my drinking and my alcohol use. You see, I didn't, I didn't get it back then. The hardcore issue was that I was in my addiction then. I didn't realize I was, I had a problem. It wasn't because of what I was doing, you know, because the, the drinking and the drugging caused me to do what I was doing. You yeah. see, but the and choice so, of drinking and but drugging, too, but, but because of my addiction, when you're in your addiction, you, you know, when you're in denial, you think you don't have the problem. Yeah. You know, you, you think that, that they don't, you don't understand that you have a problem, you know, even though because you don't realize that you're making these choices because of that, because you're so, because you're addicted, you know what I mean? It's like a disease you need to have, you want to have, you want to do it. And so I never thought that I had a problem. See, that's what I'm trying to make you yeah. understand is that I had a problem with alcohol and drugs, which caused me to make decisions and choices that caused me to get in trouble with the law. You see, I was never dealing with the hardcore issue of my addiction, realizing that I had a problem with alcohol and drugs. Number one, that was it. I always had that problem, but I never addressed that problem. I was in denial. Because right. I, 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 I stopped making, I, I never went to prison again for hanging for, for burglary or stealing. Yeah. I never went to prison for hot checks again, right? So I never went to jail for, you know, for, for anything that I did twice, except for the DUI. Well, three so, times. <laughs> Yeah. So, like so that's that's where that's where it's like okay, I, that's how you you know that you know how to pivot, like and you know well, how to curve. If I if that well, is so, is I look back when thinking back now that I had this treatment program, I can I can see, you know, because look, I I did a timeline, you know, and one one of the treatment processes that we did was a timeline, 
what they made us do or I was told to do and I was, and I did it. I did a timeline from one to 12, 13 to 21, 22 to 35, 36 to 45 and then 45 to now. And everything on top, I put everything bad that happened in my life that I can remember every year. And everything on the bottom, I put everything bad that I could that I remember, everything good and everything bad. And I could see a pattern. The pattern was abuse, physical, the trauma that I, that I went through in early childhood, dealing with all the abuse and physical and sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and all that trauma that I went through. And so every time I got emotionally stressed or physically abused, I turned to alcohol. I self-medicated. That was my form because I was watching my dad and my family and my uncles and my aunts and everybody drink. Everybody drank every night. Everybody, everybody drank. So that was a normal thing to do. You see, so I was taught that. Mm-hmm. Then being genetically in my, blood, in, in my system, yes. So it was, it, was, it was a craving at the same time, you see. So drinking was, was a, normal pro, a normal thing for me. Yeah. And so but when I got emotionally or physically stressed out, I turned to alcohol and drugs to self-medicate myself. Yeah. I, and in treatment, I, I realized that. The, what, I seen that pattern, you see. So I could see the cause. I could see, you know, the, the, the cause, the effect, and the consequences all in one, black and white, and my timeline. Yeah. For the four times I've been in, tr- in trouble with the law. That that's exactly what happened. And you didn't want to re- recognize that before because to you that I, was that well, was your coping. I didn't recognize it before because I never had the treatment before. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to recognize it because I didn't know any better. Yeah. No one ever told me, all right, look, you got a problem. This is how you're gonna fix this problem. You know, like a, the treatment that I went through now, you know, and, and so the the self-rational analysis, the cognitive thinking, the behavior, anger management. Uh, you know, all these are, and, 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 and the DWI flex and alcohol and addiction issues. These are all these courses and classes that I had that was able to process and program. And, so and, in and, that sense, are you happy that you went to jail that third time? Like did that third time, this last time actually do you good? Given the opportunity of taking this treatment program that finally the state of Texas, they say, Oh, well, you know what? This guy has a problem. Maybe we ought to get him in treatment. They gave it to me and I took it. Right. I actually, I signed up for it. Mm-hmm. I, they didn't give it to me. I signed up for it. When I went to prison, I, I put a, a note telling to the education department, telling them I needed treatment. Then I wanted to take a treatment class. And so then they, the parole board seen that and it, they, they sent me to a, DW, a DWI program unit at the Hamilton unit. Yeah. And I was able to take that to, to put myself in treatment. Yes. Yeah. What about um, now? Now you're out and You've had an opportunity to have that treatment, something you didn't have before. How are you coping now with the world being so different? So now when you're out, so let's explain that process of when you're released, what do they do? What is it like getting out of jail? Um, Explain to the world, what is that like? What's that process like? Well, you know, being in treatment, first of all, I'm I'm glad you're touching on it because first of all, I was, I was scared, you know, coming out. Was more, more, most of the time, the guys are all happy, all they're getting out, all they're going to go home. No, I, I wasn't because of the fact that after being in treatment and reckoning, you know, self, doing a self-analysis of my life and, and going back to my young, my, my young childhood days, of everything that I've, I healed, um, 
being in prison. And so, and, 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 and processing all that negative and stuff that I had within, uh, you know, within me, getting out was, uh, I was scared. Um, because dealing, thinking about um, stress, emotional stress, uh, going back into the same environment, you know, that I was before, not having to deal with or wanting to deal with all the negative issues that I had in my past because I was, you know, in treatment, the first thing that they teach you is okay. First day you think about your, your what, what was your, the car, the, the core issues of your life from your childhood ages to your, throughout your life, kind of self analyze what happened. Why did you do that? What you did. And it all goes back to, your addiction or, or your trauma or your physical, emotional or sexual abuse, right? That's the core issue. And then depending on alcohol and drugs to self-medicate yourself, and then you become addicted, right? And then you start making bad choices and decisions, whether it's anger, aggressive or, or, or control or whatever, whatever it is. And, and so thinking back when I was getting released, you know, I was thinking, okay, I've gone through all this. I've already healed. Now I don't want to go back to dealing with that again. Yeah. And so, so from that point, I was I was scared because I didn't want to have to come and deal with all that again. Because I think I healed, you know. And you still. So, and when you say you're scared, does that mean you don't want to come out, or does that mean oh, that because yeah, you oh, still no, wanted no. to come out, you still wanted to I, come out? No, I'm absolutely. I mean, no one wants to be in jail. I'm told what to do, you know, what not to do, and when to do it. Um, and so you have no control in your life when you're in, when you're when you're incarcerated. You have are the no guards control. nice in jail? No, they're 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 horrible. They're they they you know they're very you know they they're not. They're not. Are there um, any good guards in jail? Like uh, you've been to you know through jail the process. The, the counselors, states. the counselors were great. Uh, they were hu- human. Those are yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the guards were. I guess they had a front that they have to you know, adhere to, you know, to, 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 I guess, develop some type of order, you know, and so maybe that, that's their, they have to be that way, you know, but they're very demanding, very uh, abusive in, 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 in language and in their authority to tell you what to do. Yeah, I remember I was in a, in a treatment center, a unit, so it's a little bit different. You know, I, I think that they were trained to make your heart, your life, your stay, um, not, I want to say miserable, but to kind of test you prepare you kind of well test you in terms of your anger how you control how you're going to respond uh-huh. you know yeah, you know because they know you're going through treatment you know they, they know that you're going through all these treatment phases right anger management being one and so i think that their power you know their authority power overseeing you they were testing you uh, a lot you get you get tested a lot and so that was kind of hard to deal with um, fear, living in fear with uh, other guys that, that that didn't care about treatment. You know, there's a lot of those guys there too. They they were just there because they know they're going home, and so they, you're constantly living in fear. But getting back to being released, you know, I, yeah, I, I was scared, but yes, I was happy that I was getting released. Did I expect coming out that it was going to be this difficult? No. You know, I thought that I would come back and get back to engineering work, and I didn't expect to be in this pandemic, you know, with this COVID-19. And everything being locked down, shut down, no work, no nothing open, you know. And then, you know, upon being released, they only give you a hundred dollars, you know, and that's it. 
You know, oh, you got no. But if you don't got a place to go, you don't got a place to go. If you ain't got no family, you ain't got no family. If you ain't got a car, you ain't got no car. If you ain't got no clothes, you ain't got no clothes. And that's what I came out to, you know, to nothing. You know, if it wasn't for you and your sister, yeah, I mean, and, and, and your and your and your grandma, you know, um, I, I wouldn't, I would be homeless, you know. And and so, the state of Texas doesn't prepare you, you know, to to be released. You know, they just throw you out there. And it's okay, you're out, go, you know, that's it. And you're on your own. <laughs> like, you know, and then coming out to an epidemic where everything's shut down, no work, that's even even harder. It's even worse, you know. So that, you know, by itself makes it a, even a, a greater struggle. But one of the things that I did learn is how to depend on God, you know. And, and, and that, was, that was number one. Number two is maintaining sobriety. By applying the tools that I learned, you know, uh, and, and making decisions and, 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 but one of the key elements to being a living a sober life is maintaining sobriety. Maintaining sobriety means working on your body and your mind, right? To keep an active, you know, physically to, to, to being, you know, healthy, living a healthy lifestyle, working out, gym, walking, running, exercise, uh, praying, you know, your, 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 your one-on-one relationship with God, putting God first in, in your daily life. It's, I think it's probably the most important. And then, and then going to AA meetings or, or being in a group or socializing with people that, that are also in sobriety. Like I've, I've, I've been doing that. Um, and so that's maintaining sobriety. Uh, I have not even had the urge to drink. Um, I have a store right at the bottom of the there. There's beer, there's everything. I see it and it doesn't even face me no more. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't I, anything. I choose not to. And so I think that the healing process, it doesn't face me anymore. You know, I, I think that not only was the treatment a, a good impact and, and changing my life, but putting God first and back in my life was, was probably the number one thing that I, best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and then living a, a, sobri- a sober life is, is very crucial, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's and the way you do that is by focusing on God, uh, group, and, and and body, being being healthy. But for group, you mean community? Yeah, like like tomorrow, uh, I'm going to uh, Outcry Navario uh, here in San Antonio, Texas. It's a it's a it's an outreach center for addicts, and I got to be there tomorrow at five o'clock. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a testimony uh, to. Just like I'm doing with you right now, opening up about my addiction, how I got to prison, and, and then my now upon my release, hoping to make an impact on these younger kids you know, that are in there. As part of my recovery, maintaining sobriety, because if I'm doing that, I'm also helping myself. Yeah. And that's how you keep focus and recovery, yeah. and not and maintaining your sobriety. And that that that's 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 a key. Yeah. To to, to sobriety. What are you going to tell them? So when you think about other people. I think that the first thing that needs to be said is, uh, is uh, I just got out of prison because of my alcohol and drug addiction, period. That's it. And, and that alone carries, uh, says a lot because they get, it gets their attention, you know, because they're not in prison yet. You know, when people, I, I remember particularly me when I was in the county jail, when I went to a, a Bible study class and the pastor, first thing he said is, uh, I'm a pastor of, this, of Cross Church in San Benito, Texas. And the second thing he said is, uh, I was in prison and I just got out four years ago. And boom, it caught everybody's attention. 
And when you say that, it carries a lot of power. People listen, you know, because, you know, first of all, they're in the treatment center and this guy just got out of prison for something. They want to know what, why, how, you know, what happened. And, and, and so it's because you know, some of them don't want to go to prison. So they want to know why, what happened, you know, that curiosity, you know, that, that would probably be the first thing that I would say. Yeah. Second yeah. thing that I would say is uh, I just want to thank Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for changing my life. That would be the second thing I would say. And then, I don't know. I'm writing a, a little PowerPoint thing that I'm, you know, what I'm going to talk about. I, a lot of times, you know, a lot of guys, the first thing that they'll start asking questions, you know, why, how, you know, what, how much time did you do? Where were you at? Um, you know, so, you know, uh, I'll just take it from there. You know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write no speech. You know, I don't have to. I have this and I have my experience. You know, so yeah. One of the things that I, I know that. I'll be, I'll be asked is how was it in prison? And my answer would be tough and rough. And if you're not mentally stable, then as you could be easily, uh, you'll be living in fear. Prison is fear. You live in fear. Um, you live under, con you know, being controlled, which a lot of people have done. I used to being controlled. And so when you control it and you live in fear, then, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not good. So you have to be mentally strong, mm -hmm. you know, to overcome the fear, you know, cause you're at, you're in prison, you're, you're dealing with some, you know, rapists, murderers and, and, and all types of people. Now, I'm not saying that they're good or bad. It doesn't matter, but that's the type of people that you deal with. And so you have people that have been there for life or are going to be there for life. 50 years. I, I, I remember when I, when I first went in there, I was put in the cell with a guy that had 50, it was going to do 50, 50 years. And now I only got a five year sentence. So it's a big difference. He's not ever, probably ever going to come out. You know, I am. And so when you're living with someone in the cell, you live in fear, you know, well, this guy has nothing to lose. I got everything to lose. And so when you're living under those conditions, it's, it's, you, it's, it's, it's draining. What are some of the, the scary parts that you've dealt with there, like, um, you told me, uh -huh. fighting people wanting to fight just for coffee. <laughs> like I did. What was that story? I had made commissary. I had bought uh, some coffee because I drink coffee. And so I put it on my, on my, my, my metal bunk and, uh, I turned around and I, I went back to the door to sign. When I came back, there was a coffee bag was gone. And so the guy next to me that seeped, he took it. And so I asked him for it back and he didn't respond. He was a young kid. He was 24 years old, but he was real muscular, he was taller than he was bigger than me. And I'm pretty big, but he was bigger than me, but I have a neck injury. And typically I would probably wouldn't back down. But this time I felt that I, there was no way with my injury, I was even going to take a chance. And so to, to try to get it back physically, <laughs> whether, you know, when it comes to, you know, you go get it, you go get it, you know, but, this time I took it upon myself to be a little bit more mature. And so I told the guard, I go, Hey you man, snitched. <laughs> in I jail. Snitched. Yes. I, I snitched. You want to call it snitching? Well, to me, it's not snitching. To me, it's, it's, it's active, acting in a, a more mature way, you know, but yeah. in prison, it's not that, but yeah. I didn't you tell me that. what prison's like, cause I don't know. When the guard came and, and the guard said, well, whoever took his stuff, put it back and blah, blah, blah. Then they call me a snitch. So, <laughs> 
So I told him, I go, I'm not a stage man. Look, I just don't want to fight for, for my back back because I know that's what's going to happen. And then he he got mad and he wanted to fight me. He called me, let's go to the shower. <laughs> I said, I ain't walking to the shower. So I go, look, he goes, uh, so then I, I just told the guy, you know what? I don't want any problems with this guy. Why don't you just move me out of here? So they moved me out of, out of the dorm. And uh, the next day when your sister came to visit me, I told her about it. She started laughing too. But uh, I told her Not because we think it's funny, but. No, well, yeah, they, I, over a bag of coffee. Yes, a $2 bag of coffee. I'm probably getting physically abused, you know, hurt, you know, because that's, that's what happens. When you, get, when you, when, when you fight, you, you get stabbed, you get beaten up, you get kicked, and you get punched, and there's no guards to protect you. you know, Have you been you in that situation there. before? Yeah. 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 What does that I, do? Like when you're in that situation? You're, you're, you have to prove, and, you know, first of all, they consider you weak. If you don't, if you don't stick up for yourself, you 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 become a weak, and they take advantage of you. So they they start, you know, in the terminology, and they're punking you out or or bullying. this then another word for bullying you, and and they take advantage of you by by taking your commissary or anything of that you know that that that's considered valuable in prison, right? Is it easier for older men like now that you are fifty five going into jail? Was it a different experience when you were? you know, 30 versus 20. So. Yeah. Um, when, when I was younger, I mean, I, I was, I was a uh, fearless. And as you become older, you, you're more mature in your thinking, you know, you, fighting is not really uh, your first primary, you know, Response. reaction to fight. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you live more, more cautious, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, and 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 you, you, you got to deal with the typical young gangbangers we call them, you know, the young crowd, and which they want to prove themselves, you know, or they got something to prove, or they want to think that they got something to prove, yeah. and you have to deal with that type of behavior, and and so, and if you don't react, you know, according to prison behavior, you know, whatnot, whether it's through aggressiveness or or force. Or, or physical force, right? Then they consider you weak, a weak, a weakling. And so a lot of times, you know, that, you know, I, yeah, I, I stood up for myself. I wasn't going to let this guy beat me up either, you know. I'm a pretty big guy, I, and I don't think he would have either. But with my neck injury, no, I wasn't going to take that chance, you know. So, but yeah, I, I've, I've, been in, I've been in fights, yes. And yeah. what is, is the gang situation in jail prevalent? Is yes, there- very much. Uh, here in Texas, they have a, a PRIA, which is a, I, I, don't, I forgot what it stands for, but uh, it's like an oversight uh, department that oversees uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and they kind of try to weed out all the gang members and not put them together. or They, they, they try to weed out people that are going to be with aggressive behavior, try to put them in other units where that's all the people that are going to be there with that type of behavior. Yeah, and it put you know more mature people with more mature people in their age group, you know. So yeah, they've gotten better about that, but it still happens a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't protect you in the shower. They can't protect you in the, in the, in your living quarters, you know. The only you know when they're when you're visible, yeah, but when you're when you when you're not, you're not, you know. So you still live in fear every day. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Do you see men come out of jail? as better criminals 
that's one of the questions that people ask is, is jail actually helping the people who go sent to jail or is it creating more criminals? Because like, you know, when you go to jail, now you're, you're meeting better criminals. Well, I think I can answer that from experience because when I went to jail in my, in the past, when I came, when I came out, I don't want to say I was a better criminal because I stopped doing that type of behavior except for the drinking and the drugging because I had an addiction. So that's different. But I I wasn't a better criminal, no. Uh, But maybe more savvy criminal? No, no. Well, then me personally, no. But others, yes. I've seen that, yes. Especially the younger guys. You know what? I've seen that more with people that didn't have an education or they didn't have any job skills. Um... You know that type of people. Yes, I've seen that type of behavior. Because that's their only—that's their job. That becomes right. their career. And, exactly. Like a career criminal. Yes, that that I've seen that a lot. Uh, people that 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 take that take advantage of vocational classes or took uh, college classes or took treatment classes. Um, that type of behavior. You know, I, I like like for example, like myself in the unit that I was in. Most of us there were, were, were either, they had two sides. One was a DWI side and one was a drug side. I was in a DWI side. Yeah. A lot of us made parole. You, you, you make parole, you go there. But you have to finish the treatment program before you go home. That type of unit. Yeah. So the way TDC, Texas Department of Criminal Justice now, and prison system in Texas, in past, they, they didn't do, they didn't have these type of programs. They didn't have it. And so people were getting out doing the same thing or even better criminals, like you said, than, than before, because they didn't, ha- they didn't have these type of programs or, or they didn't, or they chose not to get into these programs. But the programs itself were good. Yes. Like the job yes. skills program, the therapy and the treatment programs, the education for the GED and the vocational uh, uh, education. Those are all great things for inmates then is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, and people that take advantage of them, I, I see the, a difference in their behaviors. They're, they're, they're totally different when they come when they come out. Mm-hmm. They're they're more optimistic. They're, they're more they they I would say they persevere more. Mm-hmm. They come out with a little bit more more of a purpose of doing the right thing, you know, of uh, getting back their life, you know, straightening out their lives. Um, and I can see that. And the, the flip side of that, I can also see the the people that don't take advantage of these programs. They come out the same or worse. You know, and so you could tell definitely tell the difference. When I got released, uh, you know, the day that I got released with 15 of us, it was May the 15th of the of this year. And out of those 15 that I seen that we were there waiting for our family members to pick us up, I know for a fact half of them didn't care about that program. And and I, I would think, and I would bet probably bet if I was a betting man, I would bet that they were probably out there drinking right now, or or, or not maintaining a, a sobriety life anyways, or maintaining it. Or trying to, I would say half. So yeah, the the odds are stacked against people that don't want 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 to adhere to treatment or, or or change their lives. Yeah, but treatment itself is something that you would probably advocate for more people who oh, are yeah. in jail. Well, sooner, that, that's right. My, yes, definitely. Uh, that's my purpose of going to outcry this uh, tomorrow uh, when I give that testimony tomorrow from five to six. Uh, I'm going to emphasize on treatment, definitely. Um, and, then, and, and, and I'm glad you touched on that. I, ha- I do have a, a legal appeal and, and the way my legal case was handled because instead of sending me to prison, I had, they could have sent me to treatment instead of sending me to prison. 
not only the felony, but I lost everything. Yeah. I lost my business. I lost the cars. I lost my clothes. I lost my house. I lost every everything that you could think of. I have absolutely nothing. A little bit of clothes and my paperwork, my forms. And, my and you don't even have an ID, right? No. So um, that's the only, and a hundred dollars. That's it. Well, actually $50 at the gate and another $50 when you report to the pro officer the very next day is mandatory. So once you get released, you got 24 hours to report with yeah. only $50 and, and that's it. And so, you know, they have a reentry program, but basically right now they don't give you no housing. They don't, they don't give you monies for, it's hard. A hundred dollars doesn't even, barely for food. You know, last year a week, that's it. Yeah. You know, you're basically homeless. You know, you're, you know, me that I lost everything, you know, you're, I come, you come out to nothing. And so the struggle with, 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 especially now with this pandemic makes it even harder because everything's shut down. There's no jobs. You can't work. So describe your day. Like since you've been out for about three weeks now and yeah. uh, my sister and I, we live out of state and he can't come here with us right now because he's on Probation for 30 days, or the, how long is it, Dad? Three months? 90 days. I got to be here 90, I'm pro 90 days into the system. Right. And before I'm I, able to get a travel permit. Yeah. Correct. My daily routine is this. I, I get up in the morning at the hotel where I'm at. I have access to the internet and, and a laptop. So I'm able to go to Indeed, to a LinkedIn, uh, all these job referral services that I that, and, and apply for work in, in the engineering field. Um, and so I get up and I look for work. I exercise, I, I go up and down the steps, you know, to, to, to work on my healthy body, to maintain my body. And I drink coffee, I, I, I eat breakfast. Which is your new addiction, because you know you have to, re, you don't really quit an this addiction. Is, this is my fifth it. cup. <laughs> your fifth cup. <laughs> but at least it's a healthier addiction, right? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, I love coffee now. Yeah, I drink, <laughs> I drink it all day. <laughs> uh, but... But no, but seriously, I, I found I, this good I, coffee. I'm going to send you some. Well, once you figure out what your <laughs> new address is, I don't know. So are you going to go to a halfway house? Like, how, where are you going to go? I, I don't know. If I have to go back to your weather's, I will, I'm going to have to go. You know, I have no other choice. I mean, mm -hmm. it, that's it. There's no internet there. How are you going to get in touch with people? I have no idea. I have no idea. Right? Uh, There's no I transportation no there. How are you going to get back to the city with no money, no job? Well, I applied for unemployment. I applied for unemployment, but uh, there's no telling where if I'm even even going to qualify because I haven't worked. I've been, you know, I haven't worked for two years, and and when I did work, I was working for I was self-employed. So how do you keep your head up, like in all of it? Like how do you keep your head up to to where it's like sometimes wouldn't it just be like, man, what do I have? This no, you know, you know what keeps me going. First of all, I'm very optimistic. You know, second of all, I have faith. I, you know, my power in God and my faith in God, I, I think that um, knowing that I've, I've overcome the healing you know, of, of my past, right? That was a big thing. Uh, knowing that it's all gone, uh, that I, I got out of my system, something that I haven't done for, what, 42 years, you know, I, well, longer than that. I live with all that anger, resentment, hatred, you know. What does I, it I feel to with, be, have that release? Does it feel, do you feel lighter? Do you feel better? I feel, well, I, I feel, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable that, you know what? I, it makes it easier for me to be optimistic because even though everything's shut down and, and, and I'm having a difficult time with just trying to get back on my feet, I'm still optimistic. 
I still have faith that I, I will overcome. I had a, job, a good job interview yesterday, two of them. They called me back. I had two interviews with the same company. Awesome. I th- I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to make me an offer. And so pray, I hope keep that in your prayers for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, I'll, I'll just keep plugging along. I mean, that's all I could do. You know, just keep going. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm, I, I'm not the type that's going to sit back and just do nothing about it. You know, I, I have to keep working and I'm trying to to land a job, to find a place, to get a car again. Yeah. Um, even though it's difficult, but I, I have faith that it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. I remember my sister had this vision when we were uh, teenagers. And this is, I think you were, I don't know if you were in jail. I don't know well what the situation was at the time but i remember we were still like struggling to believe and have faith that god would like help us and then help you at the same time like how do we deal with this you know right we know our dad's in trouble and hurting and how do we deal with this and one time she's like andrea 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 i have this vision of dad and it's me and dad and we're speaking to a group of people like a huge group of people and it's good she's like i don't know what it's about i don't know what happens or anything she's like all i know is we're speaking to people together and i've never lost sight of that vision and that vision has always helped carry me or at least give me some like and when you go to jail or and you as a daughter you worry about your dad i worry about you I want you to stay safe. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be whole. I want you to be happy. Um, and there's a lot of times when it's easy to, to lose that faith sometimes. Like, wait, how is this ever going to turn out right now? It's, it's hard, right? But yeah. that vision alone has carried me. And I don't know if maybe this is hopefully the right path for you now and maybe starting these speaking engagements, like that might help. That might help someone else and help you well, along that's, the way. That's, well, you know, if, if anything, this experience, right, this, this, this past incarceration experience, my treatment, you know, when I was in Bible study class, um, and, and I'm glad you mentioned this because that I, I did find my purpose in my life. You know, um, when I was in Alcry, when I when I was in the county jail, I, I, I was hopeless. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was in fear. I I probably knew I was going to go to prison, but I didn't expect. You know, I said, wow, again, I was really, really hard on myself. I was really, really feeling down. I was really, uh, I don't know. It, it, it was a bad experience. It was a bad feeling. Um, but I had hope, you know, and, 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 and so daily I would pray. And then I said to myself, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to this Bible study class. And they did. I met this this pastor called Jose Morales from Cross Church, San Benito, Texas. And the program was a, a six-week course, right? So I took it. It was a book by Rick Warren. Yeah, Purpose Driven Life. And in that book, I think it was chapter 27, right, it talked about forgiveness. And that's when I first opened up my eyes. That's when I first processed everything that I had buried within me which was the core issues of my addiction i think well no that i know about the physical the mental and the, and the sexual abuse in my life right when i was traumatized that i had hidden all these feelings and everything that happened to me 
I had it hidden, stored away. I just didn't want to deal with it. And every time I was affected either physically or emotionally, I, I, I used, you see. But, in this, but, but during this period that I was there, it was actually a year ago, a year ago in, in March, I started the program last year. And it's from March to April. And so when I was there, really going through the book and going through the videos and the, and the exercises, right? Um, this pastor said, dude, I want, I want to talk to you. And so God's, God's putting me, putting you in my path for a reason. And I said, I want you to stay here after, after class. So I did. And he sat me down and he goes, look, uh, I want to pray over you. Something's telling, telling me to pray over you. And, <clears throat> and uh, Wow, <clears throat> and we did, and he did, and when when he prayed, uh, emotionally, I, I I just felt that I had to share. I was able to share. He goes, "You you need to tell me something." That's yeah, and it was just about the forgiveness part. He goes, "Oh man, I have a hard time to forgive me." And um, I, I brought it, I brought everything out. The physical abuse, the, the emotional abuse, the sexual abuse. Um, my disconnection with God. At 12 years old, I was in a Catholic church and it was, diff it was difficult. But uh, he, as he prayed, I, uh, I I guess that was the start of my healing. And um, as uh, as we continued to, to to go to Bible study class, you know, I was really it forever changed my life. The book did and the program. And so I found the. Uh, that experience, you know, was very overwhelming. For the first time in my life, I was touched. Um, I gave my life to Christ again. And as I, as I went back to my bunk, you know, and I was thinking about the experience and um, thinking about outcry, you know, when I was there, yeah. dealing with the kids. Yeah. And so I, I, I told myself, I said, you know what? I want to be a counselor. And so... And I, I found my purpose in my life. Yeah. And and so that, going through the outcry, going through the Bible study class and completing it has reinforced my treatment and yeah. my healing. Yeah. So when I was coming out of the prison, I was scared. That's why I was scared. Because I, I knew I was healed, you see. And, and, and so and I, I made it a point in my life that I didn't want to go back to that lifestyle. And so now I, I choose not to be around that type of environment. And, and, and so, you know, if anything, yeah, it, this past year and a half for the first time in my life is really, I've dedicated my, myself to changing my life, but not only that, but to helping others. Yeah. I found my purpose yeah. in my life. And so you, the, that dream that your sister had, 
Yeah. I think it's going to be real. Yeah. Because you're going to see me, you know, I guess the practice that I will start getting tomorrow. Um, but oh, you're doing it, now. You're doing it today. What I'm doing now. Um, I, I'm hoping that it can make an impact, you know, in changing someone's life, you know. So, yeah. So for people like, um, is Jose Morales, is that what's his name? Yeah. God bless him, right? Because without him doing that work and fulfilling that mission, your life wouldn't have been impacted or changed in the way that it was. That's right. And That's right. And it's people like that who are willing to speak up and willing to actually give their service and their time. Yeah. People who, you know, people in jail, you know this better than anyone, will write you off. People don't like you. They, they're, you're a criminal. You deserve it. They think less sometimes. And I don't want to put the whole world in that category, but I think genuinely, generally speaking, um, we have a bad rap and a, and a stigma towards people who've been in jail, especially if you've been in jail more than once, right? If you've been in yeah. jail more than once, you're probably already like, why? You didn't learn the first time. And, and so we have a sense of distrust. There's not a lot of people who are willing to go in and do those services for people. Yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to let, you know, people that have uh, that frame of thinking or negative thinking about me influence in what I do from this point forward in my life. I have no control over that and I'm not even going to worry about that, you know. So, yeah, there, but there's a lot of people that, that do perceive you or write you off or whatever you want to call it or have no faith or hope in you whatsoever. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure that it's, it's in their, a lot of people's minds. Yeah, and just like um, those people exist, so do the Jose Moraleses. Exactly. Um, and those are exactly. the people we want to bring uh, light to. Or, or the counselors at MTC yeah. or, or even uh, uh, my, my, my friends, my coworkers, even the people that I know that I'm out now. You know, even though they're not here to support me financially or, or, or anything, but morally, they're, they're here, they're rooting for me, you know. Yeah. And, and so that is probably worth more than anything else, you know, but... I've always persevered and I've always been optimistic. And that's what, and then now that I reconnected with God and putting God back in my, in my life again, you know, daily, I'm not talking about, you know, when things are bad, I'm the, even when things, you know, when I put God first in the mornings, when I get up, the first thing that I do is I get on my knees and I open up Psalms 34, you know, that's the first thing I do. And I read that Psalms 34 and because that's what helped me get through everything. It says that God will deliver you from all your fears as long as you put trust in God first. That that's it in a nutshell. If you read it, that's that's exactly what it is. He will deliver you from all your fears, but you have to trust in God first. That's it. That's it. And if you read it all, that's that, that's the key that. message. That you, that, yes. Yes. Deliver me from all my fears. I have to put God so far it's proven true, I guess, right? You've been delivered. You may not have much right now, but you're still alive. You're still, now you have your mind right. I think that's more precious than anything is you have your mind right. Not only do I have my mind, but I have my health. Yeah. And my heart. Yeah. Your health. I have my, my heart's been clean. My mind's been clean. And now my body, I'm working on my body. (laughs) Um, What do you say to other people who are, are maybe going down that same path? They don't recognize they're in denial. What are some things you can share with them about ways to recognize maybe it's time to seek treatment? 
But first thing that I would say is you got to get real with yourself. You know, you, got, you have to do a self-analysis in your heart. You know, thinking that, you know, that you can get away with it, you know, over and over and over. Well, because a lot of people, when you're ending out, you know, you have to get real. You got to be honest with yourself, you know. And then part of it is admitting that you have a problem. A lot of people don't want to admit that they have a problem. You know, that's the first thing, you know, that I, I would say is you got to get real. You, you, you have to admit once they can admit or see that they have a problem, then the second thing I would recommend would be uh, getting treatment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going through a program like I did. Yeah. What are those signs um, that you saw? So, you know, like when the treatment, you probably went through things that they said, these are red flags. These are kind of the, the signs along the way that when let you me just, know. When you, when you just socialize from family members, when, 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 when you're dependent on alcohol daily, you know, when you're, when you're drinking every day, um, and this doesn't start every day. It starts on the weekends. You know, and when you when you when you think that you're obligated to have a drink because you done good, or 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 you know, like like you deserve a break. Like you like if you deserve it, yeah, that would be the first red flag when you think that you deserve to go out there and have a drink. Um, second thing is when you're when when it when it affects your relationship with with your spouse. You know, when you put alcohol not going to functions with your spouse, you're distancing yourself from your spouse, doing things with your spouse, that or, or being disaffectionate, you know, with your kids um, or not doing things as a family, you know, those, like those would be red that loner thing, right? Right, exactly. And, and then when you, you know, if you start doing that, then you become more dependent on alcohol daily, you know, that's, that's going to happen, you know. I mean that that's just a cycle. That's just a normal path, and and so when you get to using alcohol daily, then you really distance yourself from family and your friends, and eventually you lose track of your of of, of your work, you know, whatever whatever it is, and and to to sustain your employment, work, your family, you know, um, friends, church for sure, God. And so, yeah, uh, those are all red flags, you know. And so you, you, I could tell. I mean, I, I could look at somebody and I could tell just by sitting down in a room and I could tell whether he has a problem or not. I could tell right away. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that don't, but I, I, I could tell. How could you, know? you tell? What do you see? Uh, the first thing I would ask, you know, you know, if he's in a group treatment, if I'm, if I'm giving it, let's say like tomorrow, for example, when I go in there tomorrow and then I'm going to have, I don't know how many people are going to be there, but when I sleep, when I go up and I tell him about me and then, you know, we start the group, you know, they start the group discussion about introducing themselves. The first thing, uh, you know, when you go to a meeting, you know, uh, the first thing that comes up is, uh, my name is Art. I'm an alcoholic or ex-alcoholic. You see, you're accountable, you know, and so the first thing that I would hear is if, whether they're accountable or not. You know, that's going to be the first thing I do because you, you have, they have to introduce themselves. And the way they introduce themselves is the way I'll be able to tell, you know, whether they're sincere or if they're just there just to Or comply, not ready yet. But we're, or not ready yet, right, right. Mm -hmm. And I could tell. They're, 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 what recommendation? So you know that alcoholism destroys relationships. 
just like oh, yeah. truly destroys. It's made for our relationship, mother, uh, father and daughters, me and my sister and you. Uh, we we love you, right? But it's uh, it's made it difficult, not easy. But we're still love. We still love you. But everybody yeah. else around, it's hard. It destroys relationships. For someone yep. else who is in a relationship with an alcoholic, what can they do? Is your recommendation run? Like, this isn't going to be good for you. You won't win in this situation until the alcoholic gets better. Is that the truth? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yes and no. Um, they have to be, first of all, they have to be accountable for their, their actions, right? They have to be, they have to uh, admit that there is a problem. You know, if yeah. people that, you know, I look, I've gone into, I've been in, in group sessions where people, they still, they're in prison and in my treatment class and still in denial. Well, I don't have a drinking problem. I just got caught. It was the first time. Yeah, right. Yeah. But that's lying. That's a form of lying. Yeah, because like for every time they get caught, it's probably like a hundred times of driving or something. Right, exactly. That's, that, that's a form of denial. A form of, that's lying. You know, when you're in denial, it's lying. Um, and so, because you don't want to be accountable for your actions, you know, and when you're not accountable for your actions, well, then you lie to cover for your, for your actions. Mm -hmm. You know, you do. Um, you know, there were many times where, you know, when I had my business, right. And when the workers would leave, you know, they would leave at five o'clock, I would shut the door, lock the door and I would drink. They never seen me drink. See, that's one thing. I was a functional alcoholic, but I lied to them because they never seen me. See, they always thought that I never drink and never smoke because they never seen me. But I, even though I would sneak out in the middle of the in bed lunchtime and go have a beer or go smoke a joint and come back, put uh, visine in my eyes and put gum in my mouth, and that was I was good. You see, that's lying. You see, and or deceiving. And so, yeah, you would hide it. You know, try to a form of hiding. And and so, yeah, there's a lot of that. So what are there some other ways that you've lied that maybe other people might recognize in themselves? That, well, first of all, not, not admitting that you have a problem. That's number one. That would be the first lie. Second lie would be when you want to go out and get the drug or get the alcohol and you have to lie to your spouse. Well, I'm going to go do this when you're actually going to go do that. Uh, and so. Yeah, like all those times when you used to go to the gas station when yeah. you were getting drugs. No, I would go probably smoke. I would go smoke pot. Okay. I would get in the car. That's where I, that's where I hid. I would get in the car. I would go drink a beer and go smoke a joint and come back. Uh -huh. That would, that would, yeah, I always lied about going to the store, but yeah, I would take a drive. Yeah. That was my fourth. And I did that in my, in my, in my, in my company when I was at my office. That's what I would do. Well, I did. I think this is brave that you're sharing this. I think this is real. I think this is honest. I think this gives um, an open look into into your process and your evolution, and and I think this will. I hope this helps other people. It helps me well, as a daughter no. knowing that you trust me to share your truth with me. It helps me to know that you're actually making an assessment, and maybe you're not fully. Um, uh, you're still working through your things, right? And and your life isn't figured out but you're still hopeful and you're still trying. And to me, that that's, that's very, it's a very great thing. Very great. Thing. Okay. All right. Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it? 
Well, I mean, first of all, everything that I said was the truth. Second of all, um, you know, I, I guess there's a form of releasing as well with you. I think yeah. that needs to be done. I think, no, truly, I, I think that, I think not only for you, but for me too. Uh-huh. I'm just being real and I'm yes. being honest. That's yes. what happens. That's, yes. that's truly what happens. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, I want you to forgive me if you know for all that. I I hope that I you can. I forgive you. But going forward, you know, uh, I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful. You know, I'm very proud of you that, that, that you have this this type of show that people can be real, and 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 not only that, but I, I guess being an advocate for 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 getting stories out that that can make an impact in people's lives because this this this, this will. This will help somebody. This is this is going to help somebody that truly wants to get help. You know, if they want to experience everything that I've gone through, the failures, right, the broken relationships, the distrust, going in and out of jail, then they can choose to do that. If they want to listen from me uh, to show that it's 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 not something that if I had to do it again. I don't know. Maybe I'm not done with my chapters in my life. That maybe after after I become a counselor and and I, and I make an impact in someone's lives, maybe I can say, okay, yeah, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change it for for the world. Yeah, right I'm now bad. you'd be like, I would change just I would change a few things. Right now, I'm probably I'm I'm in the middle of this book to where I'm I don't know. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And so uh, maybe when I'm done with my book and, and the chapters and the rest of the chapters I have to write. Then I'm hoping, and, and, and I'm not not hoping. I, I I'm I'm know for a fact that I, I want to be an LCDC counselor. I know that for a fact. I'm going to go back to Al Cranavalio, not only here in San Antonio, but in Brownsville, more so in Brownsville, because that's where they need me more. You know, those are kids between 18 to 30. You know, that have no life, no skills, or anything worse than here in San Antonio. That I know that I can make, I can help them more, and so. Once I do that, then I, I think that I can look back and say, you know what, it, it was worth it. You know, I, 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 I made a difference in someone else's life, and at the end, it was all worth it. Yeah. Right now, no, <laughs> I can't say that because <laughs> I'm still struggling myself. So, <laughs> well, I, 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 um, I love you. I love you too, Mia. And I'm thankful for you to be willing to even come on and be honest and be raw, and not yeah. be. And not be resentful of, of me asking hard questions because that's no. hard to do. Um, no. And especially being my dad, it also means it brings another layer of personal of, of personal things. Like mm-hmm. this is the most, I would say probably the most difficult conversation I've had in my life. Well, this is, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, the, the, the most difficult conversation I had in my life was with, probably with Joe Morales first, the pastor. And when the, the, I brought everything from the to the forefront, and and I, and I think this conversation with you um, has been fairly easy because I've been honest, you know, because I've already processed all that. I, it was a little hard talking about the physical and the sexual abuse, you know, when I got to that point. But I, I've already processed all that out already. Yeah, I've already dealt with that. It was kind of hard sharing it with you. Yeah, but yeah. I'm glad that I did because it, it's 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 really tough. You know, talking about that. Yeah. But I, I'm glad that I did. And uh, now that I have it out, you know, it's another form of, of healing still. You see, every time I, every time I share it, uh, to me, I, I'm healing. You're lighter. You 
Uh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm talking about we're not. Uh, I've already, I'm already like feel lighter. How does it feel? I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking. Yeah, we have. Well, that, that, all that I've already done. Uh-huh. That I've already done. But I'm talking about in eternal, in, in, you know, mentally and emotionally. I, I, it feels better every time I talk about it, you know, especially with like with you, my daughters that I love so much. You know, it's even more. Uh, it's harder. Yeah. It's harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause I've never shared this with you, you know, never, ever only in the letter, you know, but, um, you know, so it makes it, it's difficult, you know, talking about somebody, it's easier now. You yeah. see that that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's, it, it becomes easier to talk about it. And once you talk about it, you know, I'm hoping that I can relate to others because I know that I'm not the only one who's gone through this. Cause remember I told you when I'm in my treatment class, in my, in my pod, there was 60 of us, right? And as I was 60, I would say 80% of us went through everything that I went through, exact same thing. And so it was easier for me to to understand them and them understand me. It was a connection there, you see, because we could relate to each other. And, and so it was easier to, to, to let it out. Now, for the first time, I'm actually dealing with someone that, that was and hasn't gone through what I've gone through. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult, you know. But at the same time, that's what I'm saying, it's, it's getting easier. You know. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.